me start by asking you a question this morning. Do you believe there's power in prayer? I, I think that we, we short-sighted God who creates the universe, who knows our very DNA. We short-sighted him when we don't take everything we have to him in prayer. And so too small a prayer seem insignificant, too big prayers seem too burdensome to him. There is no such thing at either end of that spectrum. There's nothing too big that we can present to God and nothing too small that is insignificant. He is such a loving God to us that he wants it all. He wants the moments that you may feel are insignificant and he wants the biggest things in your life. He wants it all because he can handle it all. We tend to think that the small things are easy and the big things are difficult. They're all easy to God. There is nothing so big in your life, no boulder so big, no mountain so grand that he can't move it. He is such a good God that he loves us even when we present ourselves unlovable. Second Samuel has a story like that. It's at the heartbeat of the psalm we're going to read today in Psalm 51. If you want to begin finding that in your Bible, I encourage you to start doing so. But to get Psalm 51, we have to go to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Y'all know this story. We talked about it in here before. It's the time of year that kings roll out to war, and David sends his best warrior in his place. We don't know why David does this. We get no historical context why David would have stayed home. But that was his first mistake. You see, sin is sin, but it especially becomes enticing when you find yourself and myself in an unaccountable place at an unaccountable time. When we feel alone as though no one would know what's happening, anything is available. I often tell students this. I can promise you, you can watch any movie that's ever produced, any of them. But I bet you wouldn't watch with your grandma. Am I wrong? There's a movie that you may really love until you show it to your children the first time. I'll give you a for instance. When I was growing up, me and my sister loved a movie, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. We thought it was hilarious. We laughed at it until I showed it to my children. It's not so funny then because they say things I don't want my children to say. So it starts and you go, oh, What? When did they say that? But I've learned something. When I was growing up and we watched movies on TV, they didn't allow very much. They didn't allow cussing at all when I was a kid. Y'all remember that? It's like movies were edited really poorly. And you thought, man, editors in Hollywood are garbage. Whole scenes were missing. And then when you show the movie, you find out why. Because then all of a sudden, you become the editor. You see, when we're in unaccountable situations, anything seems okay. Until we add accountability. And then everything changes. So David should have been at war, but he's not. Instead, he's strolling in the evening, and he sees Bathsheba. And y'all know the rest of the story. But that's not where the story ends, is it? Doesn't just take in a married, man, uh, married woman's, uh, married man's wife. There you go. 
But he also decides to cover that sin with another. He brings in Uriah the Hittite back home from war. And he says, buddy, you've been doing a great job. Go home. And he says, I can't. You see, everybody that's a good guy is at war right now, Mr. King. Which is deadly, by the way. Read it. 2 Samuel, that's, that's exactly what Uriah says. All the good guys are at war right now, King. I can't go home. And King David's like, well, I'll tell you what. Let's get this guy drunk. And he does. And Uriah still doesn't go home. And so King David goes, well, you know what? If he's not going to listen to his king... I will have him killed. And so he sends word with Uriah back and it says, hey, put him on the front line and when the battle's raging, have everybody take a step back. And they do. And Uriah dies. And the word gets back to the king and the king goes, dodged that, which is all fine and good, right? It's like when you go to Walmart and you decide you're going to plant a tree. Wherever you so choose at Walmart, you know the problem with that? You're on a camera. And so is David. And see, God has the biggest camera of all, doesn't he? And so God sends his best. David could have been alone, but he wasn't because there is a prophet named Nathan. And God goes, hey, Nathan, so uh, I need you to go talk to David. And so God gives Nathan a story. Wealthy man has lots of sheep. There's a poor man that has a lamb, one lamb. He brings it into his household, treats it like a child, eats from his table. And the wealthy man has a business partner that comes into town, and, and the wealthy man wants to offer him a feast. But Scripture says what Nathan says to David is he could not bring himself to kill one of his own sheep or a cattle. Instead, he takes the poor man's lamb and he slays it. And he feeds it to his business partner. Now I want you to just hear what David says back. David says, as long as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. Because he has done this thing and shown no pity. He must pay four lambs for that lamb. And Nathan, being so kind and loving, replies back to him, you are the man. That's awesome, isn't it? He says, don't you know that God sees you, David? You have anything you want, riches, you can name it. You want another wife, God could give you that. But instead you took Uriah, the Hittite's only wife, and then had him killed off. Are you, are you crazy? Because of this, David, the sword will never leave your household. you imagine that moment? where you feel like your sin has been covered up completely and you've got through scot-free until a Nathan shows up and says, you are that man. You see, that is exactly where we're going to be in the text today in Psalm 51. I love the Psalms because it's a real moment to look into the heart of not only David, but several other men throughout Scripture. But in this particular psalm, you get to see David's journal. You get to see as he's crying out to God. And what's more is this, he doesn't hide himself now. David's not going to hide away from this sin anymore. He writes this for the choir director to sing. How about that for a moment? 
I don't know if you journal, but I know if you do journal, you're not writing it so that it's sung at, at school or by the choir here at our church. You're not ever going to hear Grant come and go, uh, today we're going to be reading from John Mickey's journal a song that he wrote for us. Choir, let's sing. Uh, you know, it's not going to happen. That's exactly what David does. He says, you know what I thought my sin was private? But now forgiveness needs to be public. So let's read it. Psalm 51. It says, be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you're right when you pass sentence. You're blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self. And you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew my steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and the sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God. God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You don't want a sacrifice, or I'd give it. You're not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You're not despised, uh, you will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. In your good pleasure, cause Zion to prosper and build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings, then bulls will be offered on your altar. You see, guys, God's faithful love and abundant compassion outweighs our rebellion. It always does that. His faithful love and abundant compassion, they move us and it outweighs our rebellion. There is nothing you and I can do that so far pushes God out that he can't restore us. But it's what we tell him all the time. God, I've gone too far. God, you don't know my backstory. You don't know all the stuff I've done. How about this, an adulterous, lying killer? God is restoring. So whatever you brought with you, just know this. You're in a perfect place at a perfect time to be loved by a perfect God. And you and I don't have to be perfect to do that. He is more than enough. The real issue at hand is this. We're all rebellious we're all rebellious it says so in the scripture and David declares that he just says listen I've, I've been rebellious all my life God it's who I am I, I, I know it's there I, I've been rebellious since I was born and this is just another moment where you're going to have to intercept my life from me I believe this happens in every Christian's walk constantly and I, I want to tell you why because as we walk after God, we're going to find out if we're dependent upon him or in control of us. And any time we become in control of us, we're going to have a David moment. We can only pray that it's not as large as what David did. But let me just tell you what God sees as sin. Sin. 
doesn't matter if you lied or you killed Uriah. It's sin. And that sin separates us from good relationship with God. Outside of Jesus, there is no way by which man can be saved. There is no way to heaven except through Christ. But in Christ, then we work on relationship with him. It's an ongoing daily relationship. And the best part about it is this. You and I are going to be unfaithful spouses in that relationship. He never is. He is always faithful and loving and forgiving and restoring. God is good. And he chooses completely to change our hearts. Listen to what David's saying. You can hear it in his words, can't you? He starts by just saying, be gracious to me, God. I get it. I know you know everything I've done. So help me. Bring me out of this. Cleanse me. Renew me. Because we need a complete washing of our sins. And Jesus is the only one who does it. He washes us and cleanses us, and we cannot. We can only superficially clean what God but God can do the inner workings. We can wear the outward suit of Christianity, but only true Christianity comes from cleansing within. You could wear a tuxedo every time to church, but if your heart is not in Christ, washed by the blood of the Lamb, you are a walking tombstone, clean on the outside, but full of dead men's bones on the inside. And David felt that moment. He felt death's taste. And I don't know if you've ever had that moment in your walk with the Lord, but I know I have. Those moments where you're walking with the Lord and all of a sudden you can taste death in your life. And you're like, how did I get here? How did, how did I move so far from at one moment spending time with God in Scripture to the next being lost in sin? How, how did I get to here? And God goes, I haven't moved. I'm right here ask. And in Psalm 51, that's what David does. Now, you may have trouble with the scripture, and I know I have from time to time. Verse 4, against you and you alone I have sinned. You go, well, wait a second. Didn't David sin against Uriah the Hittite? You know why he couldn't sin against Uriah? Because Uriah wasn't holy. Now, did he do Uriah wrong? Oh, buddy, yeah. I, I believe with all my heart. But I also think Uriah was a righteous man. And I think eventually when Uriah dies on the battlefield, God goes, hey, man, you've been to the temple. You sacrificed. You're faithful. You said the things I asked you to to David. Let's wait. I love you. You're forgiven. Now, I can't describe if Uriah is in heaven or not. I'd like to think he is just because I like his integrity. And I like the words he says to David. I think God intersects people with his own people so that they can see change. I mean, just imagine for a moment, Uriah the Hittite comes home. And David says, man, you've done such a great job on the battlefield. Go home. And Uriah goes, I can't. And all of a sudden, David goes, you're right. Man, let me confess something to you. What a different story this is. 
But it's not the story, is it? And it's probably not your story either. It's not my story. I know that when I've sinned against God, I've piled more sin upon sin to cover my sin. And it doesn't ever work that way. Sin never covers sin. Never has, and it never will. You know why? Because sin can't cover a multitude of sins. It's not the way it works. I'm trying to think of a great way to describe this. But the best way I know how is to share with you exactly how I think God sees it. I've got Super Hank at home. We've talked about him before. He's my dog. He's a good dude. We put Hank in the backyard periodically through the day for one reason. Because he doesn't know how to flush a toilet. So that's his bathroom. But if y'all all came over because we were having, you know, church in the backyard of the pastor's house, and, and I told the kids, hey, I would like for you to go clean up the backyard. Are we all together? Okay. Trying to stay, you know, G-rated. And they took all that and they put it in the middle of the yard. And they went across the alley to my neighbor's house and they gathered their dogs and they put it on top of Hank's to cover Hank's up. That's sin on top of sin. You see, it's worthless to cover sin with sin. You know why? It still looks like. Thank you for not saying dog poo. Okay. <laughs> it looks like sin. That's what sin does. Sin wants more sin. Sin loves more sin. Sin wants you to invite the sin family over and let them stay in the sin cabin with you. Sin loves itself. You know who doesn't like sin? God. Amen. You know why? He knows it's no good for you. It's poison. And it may not kill you immediately, but it will. It'll kill you eventually, and God knows that. Because the wages of sin is what? Death. death. Sin equals death. And so in David's life, he sees his sin has been found. And Nathan calls him out, not so that he can put more sin on top of it, but so he can finally get life. And David says back to God, you're a good judge. You judged me correctly. I deserve what I got. Just don't leave me here. There's this young man who came to his pastor. They lived by the coast, and he and his boss built boats for a living. The young man, after the sermon, came up to the pastor and said, Pastor, I need to talk to you in private. So the pastor said yes, and they moved to the side, and he goes, I've been secretly building a boat on my own. After the day is over with, you know, I'll go home and build it. The only problem is this, I've been using the nails from my, from my boss when he's not looking. I've been putting four or five in my pocket every day. And I feel terrible about it. You know, I, I've been inviting him to church to come with us, and he never comes. So what do I do, Pastor? What, what would you say I do? I, if I go and tell him I've taken these nails, he's going to fire me. And the pastor just looked at the young man and goes, hmm, that's a dilemma. Let me ask you this, young man. What happens if you tell the truth? Because I just told you he'd fire me. He goes, do you know that for certain? He goes, well, yeah. And he goes, well, how much would it cost at this point? 
to repay all the nails that you've taken. He goes, four weeks salary? He goes, hmm. I'll tell you what, for the next two weeks, let's spend time together. Let me pray for you. Let me spend time just investing in you. First week happens, and the young man comes in, and he and the pastor do Bible study. Week two, they start Bible study, and then one day the young man doesn't show up to their Bible study. So the pastor does all he knows to do. He goes into the sanctuary and gets on his knees at the front of the congregation, of the, the stage, and he prays for him. Just ask God to intercede on his behalf. Ask him to open his eyes, to cleanse his heart, to ready him. The next day, the young man shows up for Bible study with a smile on his face. He said, Pastor, I did it. He goes, what did you do? He said, I told my boss that I've been taking the nails. And my boss said, I know you have. I've watched you. He said, in all this time, you've been inviting me to come to church with you. All I've ever seen you to be is a hypocrite. Somebody that tells me in one time that I should come to church with you and hear about how God can change your life, and then the next moment, you're stealing nails from me. But today is the first time I've seen you act like the Jesus you talk about. The nails are forgiven. I'll be with you on Sunday. You see, when our hearts get real with God, when we start to see that our sin is death to us, And when we start to give that sin away and say, God, I don't want any more, and I want to come right, let me tell you what's going to happen. A moment of funeral. That's where eventually you will give your sin to the Lord and he will put it away. Or the preparation for your funeral. Spiritually. And God wants to put your sin to death. And so he did it. He found this perfect moment in history where he sends his one and only son, Jesus. And God takes my sin and your sin and the sins of our children and the sins of our great-grandparents and he put it all upon one man at one time and he gave it all to Jesus and he said, die for it. And he did. It says that God gave Jesus the sins of all of us. The price of our sin became death on a cross. And when Jesus dies, he goes into the tomb and we wait. Could God really die for our sins? Day one happens. Day two happens. Something else takes place on day three. On day three, Jesus doesn't stay dead. You see, he absorbed every bit of sin that we have, and he crushed it. And he said, Kyle, you don't need this anymore. I've got it. And he threw it away. But he says this to us. If we will believe in him. And that's not enough just to have a knowledge about him. It's not just enough to know the Bible, although that's good. We must have a relationship with him. And it is a death then of everything that we brought so that he can give us life. 
I was watching this video the other day of a, a mom whose teenage son died in a car accident. She got a call from a man like three states over, and he said, ma'am, you don't know me. He said, but when I was born, I had a massive hole in my heart, and they fixed it. He said, that went really well until I was also in a car accident. And in the car accident, it broke a rib and punctured my heart. And he said, for weeks, they thought I was going to die. He goes, for those weeks when I was alert, I wanted to die. And they said, you're not going to live without a heart. And he said, ma'am, I have a certain blood type that's very rare. And so did your son. And I have his heart. And if you'd permit me, I'd like to fly you and your family out to see me so that you can hear his heartbeat. They boarded a plane. They flew to his home. And they sat in his living room, and he had a stethoscope. He said, before you listen, I want you to know something. I will protect this heart. Because of the heart of your son, it gave me life. And so he handed it to her and she put the stethoscope, the, that word on his chest, stethoscope, there it was. It sources every once in a while. And listened to her heartbeat of her son once again. You and I, because of sin, have lost our heart. It killed us. And Jesus just simply said, I will die so that you can have my heart. And i got to tell you something that means something to me. In me beats a fleshly heart, pumps blood through my veins. But it is not what keeps me alive. very will of Jesus in my life drives me. And today, by the greatness of his sacrifice for me, his heart beats in me. And if you know him, it beats in you. Isn't that what David prays? Verse 10, create a clean heart within me. Oh God, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation. Sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I'll teach the rebellious your ways and the sinners will return to you. That is a new heart that only Jesus can give you. And you're trying your best to make it through. And you can't without him. Because we have hearts that are dying. And he doesn't want you to live that way. You were never meant to depend upon yourself spiritually. Only upon him. And listen, if today you're walking on an old ticker that has just been ticking by your whole life spiritually, and you feel that separation from God, and you feel that there's a, a departure from truth, today you can fall into him and have a renewed heart. He wants to create it new in you. And you know what's so funny about that is this. He has more than enough heart for all of us. The greatness of this is this. If you know Jesus Christ, you and I are not just brothers and sisters. We're blood relatives because we've all been blot by his blood. It's powerful to know this, that the very blood that bled on Calvary courses through our spiritual veins today. 
And it links us together. That's why it's so great to know the kingdom of God doesn't look like me. It looks like us. It breathes like us. It talks like us. It moves like us. And even when we're feeling unworthy, God is a sustainer. That's why we have to pray prayers of confession. God, cleanse me like you did David. Renew me like you did him. Save me from the guilt of my sin. Because he desires, listen, God desires that we live in integrity. He desires it. But listen, we can't live in integrity without being forgiven by him. You can't do it. Without him, you can't live like him. You can't model your life after a God that you don't live in. You have to have his coursing blood to live in him. But the greatness of this is this. God will create a clean heart within you. He'll do it. He desires to do it. He loves to do it. He lives to do it. You know why? He wants you to be with him. And so today, if you don't know him, remember it's not about your your past history. If that murderer lying guy, that adulterous man can be forgiven by a holy God, so can we. The greatness of that is this. We can also be restored by him, loved by him, taken care of by him. And today, if you don't know him, today is your day. Quit waiting. Know him today. Give him your everything, but it takes everything you got so he can renew you the way he wants to. So quit going on empty in your life and be restored today by Jesus. May we be cleansed and may we be cleaned up by a God that loves us, and may he restore our souls and point us towards the Holy Spirit. God, may you win our lives today. Let me pray for you. Father God, I pray that in this room, as we spend this next few minutes just reflecting upon you, choosing to be obedient to you and follow after you with all of our lives, Lord, we pray that today we will not linger any longer. That we won't just simply wait for another day to follow after you, but today would be the day we pursue you with all of our lives. God, the greatness of a pursuit after you is this. When we give our lives to you, you will teach us how to walk after your heart. So God, even when we feel like we're too far gone and too broken, we can simply say the words like David, Lord, restore me, cleanse me, renew me, Give me a heart for you. Lord, may this day be a day that someone in this room, multiple people in this room, declare that today is the day I gave my everything to Jesus and that he gave me a clean and restored heart. Lord, that is our prayer. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. This morning, we always offer a time we call invitation. It's an invitation to come and pray. Maybe you need to come kneel at the front and pray. We call it the altar. Maybe you need somebody to pray with you. You don't even know how to pray, but you have some on your heart, and you'd like somebody to pray for you and with you. We're going to have our deacons and wives come. Why don't you guys go ahead and come? Those are in the room. Um, John, Mickey's going to come down. Me and myself are going to be down here as well. We'd love to do the same thing with you. Today, maybe right where you are, you need to be praying a David kind of prayer. God, would you restore my heart? My prayer is this, that none of us would leave today without being renewed by him. Because he can do it. 
and he desires to do it in your life. So why don't you stand with us and let's worship a God who loved us so dearly that he sent Jesus for us. You ready? You come.